Welcome to the Angler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Angler on Friday, July 21st, back in New York City until I uh, get the heck out of here to the beach tomorrow. I'm, of course, uh, joined uh, by Elaine Lowe, who is always uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, hello, Elaine. How are you? Hello, hello. Just uh, dying a little of heat stroke over here, but otherwise doing just fine. <laughs> it's mid-July. Uh, Elaine, is this where I mentioned my dad was in a union as well, or is that just you know, where, in the, where in the podcast I should mention that? <laughs> a la Ted Sarandos at the Netflix earnings call. So, yes, it's I nice, believe this yeah. is, the, so this is my, the time where you do that. My dad was in a union, so shout out, shout out to dad. Um, and joining us for the first time ever, and I think is only second podcast appearance ever. We'll get get to the bottom of that. Ladies and gentlemen, a man who's never been in a union but knows all about their financial statements, the notorious ESG entertainment strategy guy. Welcome. Glad to be here. Uh, also with father in a union. So we have there a quorum go. on union fathers for the <laughs> podcast. So, And as you can tell with a voice changer, since ESG is in the Hollywood Witness Protection Program. Yep. <laughs> You're not actually an AI bot, just so we have it for the record here, ESG. I think in this day and age, we just need to have it on the record. Actually, right? Now I kind of want to say I am. So let's like, I don't know, does that help or hurt? Yeah, the uh, anonymity piece, um, I every time I pull my audience, like, hey, should I reveal who I am? Yeah. At least half the people are like, no, go with it. It actually helps the brand better. So, you know, got to listen to the customer feedback because polls on social media are Listen, always accurate that's so. how you rule your column that's exactly right yeah, exactly uh did you ever consider using a cartman voice just saying you know i think that's a possibility now if you want to be cartman uh yeah see that would probably drive me crazy but you know now i mean i wrote about ai a few weeks ago and yeah i, I think everything's on the table there so yeah maybe yeah. next time I'll, I'll do different voices every time so that's it just go to uh showrunner ai and uh there you go you can whip it right up um ESG couldn't be a better day to have you on here I need to know what does the data say do we go see Barbie first or Oppenheimer I, I don't want to get this wrong what's what what is the correct data prediction for this what do I do first try and go see Oppenheimer because I think Barbie's going to be packed and then just wait till the weekend to see Barbie next weekend I I think oh I think oh. Barbie's going to be packed I Ooh. the latest numbers I see keep going up again I saw the poll was up in the poll results yeah. This also, though, I will say the Barbie forecast has to have the widest error margins we've seen. And that's what the theatrical people say. So it's up in the air. But um, yeah, but I would say you're seeing a double feature. Right. That's like, what I'm saying. If I'm yeah, really, yeah, now, what do, do I do? do I think you got to do, 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 do the first. upper first or the downer first. Yeah. You got to do, do Barbie first because you're not going to want to come out of Oppenheimer. Be like, now let's go to Barbie. Unless you want to end I up. Yeah, I yeah. end you up. The, you do I, the downer and then the upper. This is like yeah, a Rorschach test. This is of your personality. Like, which, <laughs> you know, which way do you go? See, I go Barbie second. I want to go home and like, oh, that go. was nice. Yeah, a little bit yeah. versus going home and sleeping and thinking about nuclear bombs. Anyway, yeah. that's uh, for the internet to debate. But of course, first, you can uh, follow The Ankler on all social platforms at The Ankler and subscribe to The Ankler at TheAnkler.com to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts including my uh, daily wake-up newsletter and uh, a great piece from ESG as well and all of his other pieces for the Angler. Um, we'll get to that uh, very shortly and sign up for the Angler's uh, free Strikegeist newsletter. Uh, or is that was that Strikegeist? Did we land on that, Elaine, last week? Was that right? Oh, Strikegeist or Strikegeist? No, it's Strikegeist. we're sticking with Strikegeist.com, you guys. Uh, but uh, we've got uh, updates on both right now since we are in the ending of week one of the SAG after strike and week 12 week, of the writer strike week 12, three months in, there you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and all the, the heat stroke updates, was everybody okay on the, the hot week in LA lane? Are you it okay? It was a hell of a hot week out. I Are mean, people... at Warner and Disney, they actually had to 
uh, curtail the the demonstrations early uh, just because, mm. you know, they were concerned about people getting dehydrated and yeah. um, burnt out. Um, but no, I've been on the strike lines every day this week. I've been at Warner's and Disney and Fox and Netflix and Universal. Um, oh, and I'm thinking so. about hitting up Paramount today. Uh, just so got to finish me, it out. Say hi. Exactly. I'm a completist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Elaine, of course, they reach you best at, of course. Elaine at the com. I've met a lot of you this week. Spirits are very high in week one of the actor strike. And that actor energy is definitely permeating the picket mm. lines. Uh, I've I've heard talk of more symmetrical faces on the, on the picket lines this week. Right, I've said that, one. not me. Okay, not me. that's a quote. That's a quote. To be fair, interesting. And better headshots, of course. Um, and uh, I guess you know. So you also got uh, on the mic with a uh, SAG lead negotiator. Elaine? Spoke to Duncan Crabtree Ireland yesterday, Ireland, and we'll have that podcast up soon. Some interesting insight into how the negotiations broke down. Obviously, the key issues being uh, minimum, uh, you know, wage increases, AI, uh, the contribution caps on the pension and health fund, and a couple other things. And he helped us break down, um, you know, sort of where they were, where the talks stand right now, and what it would take to get back to the negotiating table, as well as some of the particulars about those issues, um, and also weighed in on. Uh, Netflix chief Ted Sarandos, uh, you know, and his strike comments on the earnings call, because obviously Netflix being the first media company to kick off earnings season uh, acts as something of a bellwether for the rest of the media companies. And, um, you know, Sarandos mostly deflected uh, those uh, those those strike comments. Um, but Duncan had some interesting things to say about that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll of course get to Netflix in, in a little bit, but I do one thing. I, I've heard the interview. I've had an early preview, uh, Elaine, of the interview. Again, you can sh- uh, check it out at strikeguys.com. That'll be up uh, today, uh, Friday, July 21st. Uh, you can get that for free over there. Um, but one thing that, you know, and the talks broke down, as we all know they did, um, and the big question I think that's out there, regardless of all the terms and things, is just how do these, these two sides get back to the table? And, you know, he had a pretty I, I had not heard this before i had not heard this is how it went down but uh, we have a clip here from the interview that i just want to play real quick well i mean we've said we're ready and willing and able to resume negotiations and discussions at any moment um the company's last word to us was the mp through the amptp was uh you know we won't be ready to talk for quite some time um, that wasn't a defined period of time but it certainly didn't sound like hours or days uh, having said that, you know, we'll continue to put out uh, our interest in returning to negotiations, and I hope that they will pick up on that. And of course, there's always, you know, back channel conversations and other kinds of uh, communications going on that can potentially help um, bring us back into a place where a, a formal discussion is happening. So quite some time uh, and implies this he's saying, you know, SAG's ready to go, but you know, the for all the talk of the of the Ted's of the you know the world and saying we were looking for a resolution, it's like they're not coming back. It's from this, it sounds like they're not coming back and they need time to come back. So if they're so active about, you know, wanting this to come to a resolution, those two things don't have to add up to me, Elaine. Am I am I missing something there? Or uh, that that is just noted to pick, you know, put an alarm off in my head there a little bit. For what it's worth, I think the Writers Guild is also under the same impression and and has been that the AMPTP isn't going to come back to the table for a while. Of course, at that time, when I heard that from the Writers Guild, uh, the AMPTP was tied up in negotiations with the Directors Guild and then the Actors Guild. So now that they are technically out of the negotiating room, (laughs) 
we'll see who they wind up coming back to first. Because like I was asking Duncan, I was like, whose court is the ball in right now? And he seems to say it's firmly in the studio's uh, court. And they're the ones who should be able to reach out. And and the Actors Union will be happy to entertain those conversations again. But I think we're going to be in strike mode for a while. Yeah, and that's certainly, I don't know if they're going to pick up on this, but if any Wall Street analysts are listening to this, uh, you know, earnings season is coming up. And if you're asking a question, that's a valid question to ask any CEO is what is your plan to get back to the table? Finally, Um, right? I feel like like in the uh, spring, the last quarter, we didn't really hear much about any potential strike. And then I get it. Like the timing was, it was early May. It was a little just fresh in it, but this is, I mean, it's your point. They're negotiating with no one right now at the time they were with the DGA and had at least a, not an excuse, but a certainly viable, you know, answer to that question. Where now to your point, they're talking to nobody. Nothing is happening. This is as stalemate as it gets. And two strikes, you have 180,000 people who are actively withholding labor. Right. Out of work. Yeah. It's like you don't have any productions running at all. You can't even do any publicity for the Emmys or anything else. Or or your movies coming out this summer. Right. Yeah, which likely means that things are going to get pushed if this goes on for a while. Because how are you, how are you going to drum up publicity for this if you can't do any red carpets? Late night yeah. talk shows are obviously down since the start of the writers' strike. It's right. um, it's a dead zone. Yeah, and it's so it's a legitimate question for any public uh, leading official of a, of a public company to ask in an earnings call. So I'd be curious to see what if they get asked. Hey, you know, <laughs> we hear that you guys are the ones <laughs> waiting to come back to the table. When are you planning to go back to the table? So uh, that definitely raised my eyebrow there. Uh, so ESG, I want to touch on you had two pieces this week. Um, yeah, busy week overall, this week for me. Yeah. Busy week for you with the guilds this week. Uh, the first one I want to just mention here over uh, at your own site, which is uh, yep. entertainmentstrategyguide.com, um, about the WGA, which Admittedly, uh, the they dropped an I guess an annual report or some annual numbers, which fell a little below my radar, as it didn't really include actual writer revenue numbers. But you saw something in there that I want to bring up here, so I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, again, um, I'm always just trying to dive into the data, um, and the WGA might look read on the unions actually provides uh, the most data from what I've seen or been able to research. And so they actually have annual reports going back with what they call total reported earnings. Every writer who works reports their earnings to the guilds and then residuals that get paid out are also reported to the guilds by the studios. They combine those together. They get the total reported earnings. That report usually drops in uh, June uh, every year. But of course, this year, the WGA was a bit busy during June. But they still file their annual financial disclosures, like uh, most nonprofits over a certain size. And so as part of those uh, disclosures, they have to put their financials for what their the fees they collect, because that's essentially the earnings they operate off of. So those fees are complicated. It's not just the like 1.5% and the numbers are lumpy. Um, So I just tried to triangulate to see what the total reported earnings are. And the other thing that WGA was very clear about, and I think is very real, there was definitely a push probably in the last half of 2022 to start banking scripts for a possible strike since they likely assumed the WGA. We saw a similar effect in 2007 with a raise in total reported earnings up about 10%. So I did an estimate. I have it coming out to about 1.9 billion. Uh, Again, this just an estimate. I'm not saying this is exactly what the writers earned. There's some error bars on either side. Um, but we'll pr- likely get that number at the end. We also, the most important number, two important numbers, I think, to factor in that, which I haven't done yet. 
One is the essentially per capita earnings, which is you take that number and you divide it by the number of writers working. That was not reported because that goes in the state of the industry report. So we can't see how that's trending and account for that for inflation. We also don't know what the median income is versus say that would be the mean average. And the median is probably a better reflection of what the, you know, the working writer on the ground is actually making. But the WGA doesn't provide that off reported earnings or provide it off survey results. So we're not going to get those this year anyways. I would also say the other thing that has sort of been, you know, bubbling around in my head and I got more work to do on this is if we took those total earnings and divided them by the number of shows over time, and I just came right. up with this idea last night, essentially the per show earnings likely went way down. But we also <laughs> didn't get the TV breakout here. This is film and TV. So I oh, couldn't right, replicate right. that analysis anyways with the uh, 600 shows. So I did that, like you said, over on my newsletter on Substack and also tried to figure out what might happen next and the impacts that'll be on the industry. And yeah, it's it's grim going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is a little bit of that inflated before strike bump, which is interesting, you know, for the 2007, 2008, uh, you saw there as, right. as well. Um, so the, there'll be more to come there. ESG, it sounds like this was kind of just a mid-year thing or right or, or today. Uh, no, it won't. Or, I don't think we'll get any more data until the strike ends. Until the strike ends, right? Because they don't want to, they, they're, as they should, they're negotiating. Yeah. They don't want to be having that data out. So, uh, yeah. 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 It's, but, yeah. yeah, it's actually, yeah. It, it, you know, as the streamers themselves know about providing data about their shows, <laughs> the more data ways. you have, the better, <laughs> yeah, you are armed to negotiate various things and you don't want to give your, you know, an intense negotiation, you don't want to give. So I totally, I understand that. I just, uh, for me, any data I can get is, you know, always <laughs> looking for data and trying to find out the truth of the things with what the big numbers say. So, yeah, yeah, no personal, I'm right next to you. Um, and then you, uh, had a piece, uh, more on this on SAG over uh, at yep. the Ankler this week, um, which really dove into a lot of the numbers matters financial yeah. matters here as you, as you usually do um yeah. number one though was a, was kind of a defeating a myth uh that you know streaming does not pay residuals and that kind of is out there in the world and well you're like well technically that's not true right so walk walk us through a little yeah. bit of that if you would so the main thing to know is that post the 2020 actually starting in 2017 it depends on the guilds and so that's why like okay. you know as we're talking double strikes geist or you know <laughs> It then it means now learning a whole separate guilds, you know, negotiation tactics, but they tend to move in lockstep. And so I know the WGA a little bit better because they were on strike first. So I've covered it starting in 2017 and then increasing a big time in 2020. There was increased residuals or are paid out for all streaming shows as long as they're kept on the air after I believe it's the first 90 days. So they're definitely residuals getting paid out now. What everyone points out, which is totally true, but in my previous call back in June, I really tried to lay out the philosophy here. The streamers agreed to essentially what HBO agreed for residuals way back in the early 2000s, which was, you know, when they put Sex in the City on the air, they wanted to run it all the time. Right. So they didn't want to pay that per fee rerun. So they essentially said, let us pay you a really good fee at the time, and then we can run it as much as we want. Since streaming, you can run it as much as you want. That's what they agreed to. So... It really makes a philosophical change because it means every single show gets paid a flat rate for all the talent associated with it. That said, there are definitely some tweaks to the SAG-AFTRA, especially for smaller players, where the producers are allowed to withhold certain incomes. 
smaller players might not get paid as much simply because, you know, there's only one writer per show, but there's quite a few more actors. And so there's various complications. The one thing I would like, I would say though, is that since every actor, oh, and then uh, one last piece for WGA, they also delayed these increases to start in 2022. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people who weren't paid residuals before that are still owed the residuals now, but they delayed the implementation which doesn't really help because it still feels like a lot of people aren't getting residuals and then no one's collecting residuals like, you know, the friends paydays syndication or Simpsons syndication back in the day, because those were only two shows. This is again, for all 600 English language shows that are, or of the say 400 that are on streaming, they're going to pay flyer residuals. So, but my one recommendation is if you really haven't gained, think you've gotten no residuals, most of the guilds have resolution processes so that you can go out and see if you are owed residuals and if you have not been paid them to initiate payment. Uh, there's an art report that at least $70 million in residuals have not been paid out, according to wow. one estimate. So, you know, now's a good time. Like, go check on those things if you really haven't been getting paid residuals. Yeah. Was there a link in that piece as well? Or am I making there that was, up? yeah. I, yeah linked to so... this, I linked to SAG after. I don't believe I linked to WGA. But if you go to WGA dispute, there should be places there and talk to agents and managers as well obviously great and that's in uh, your piece over uh, yep. on the angler.com um and then you know there's this notion that's out there notions are definitely a stated um, demand or request on on sag's part of a you know a quote two percent revenue share of streaming revenues which is getting a lot of attention um this would be on top of a streaming residual to, to point out right first esg yes that is correct i reread so- the sag after demands and they do want to increase the flat rate residuals and then in, for both domestic and then foreign territories, which again was the big number. And that then like a the profit share and then a 2% revenue share on top of that. Right. So what is this 2% revenue share? And where do the issues come up in your mind? So the big issue is in the, like the theme of my piece is that profit sharing is really what has changed with streaming. And we've known this for a few years, but I think it's really crystallized in this negotiations that Netflix basically pioneered it. And then the other streamers for the most part copied it, which is the idea that you would start paying out profits to the people who helped make that has gone away with streaming, partly because they said, Hey, the ratings are secret. And then partly because the model is just fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when the networks picked up a show and they paid 70% of the total production costs, the idea was that that third party was going to go make up the rest of the revenue in syndication or then DVD sales or then streaming sales. So those extra pieces were likely driving towards the profitability of a given show. With streaming, as we all know, that's one window now. So it goes on streaming. It essentially never makes any extra money. It's all vertically integrated. So the idea of what is the profit isn't there. Mm -hmm. So the 2% revenue share might take is that's actually very similar to how it works for some license deals right now. So for example, I know we're going to talk about Suits later, the show of the summer, because it came yes. back to Netflix. Big hit. In that case, the fee that the talent all gets paid out on that is 2% of whatever the licensing deal is. And since that's, it's- So that's a 2% of, so say that it was a $100 million fee, it's not, but yeah, so then yeah. 2 million- Divided goes, by each episode goes to each of the writers. Divide, to, okay, divided by the number of writers per the right. four seasons it was on the air or whatever it was. So, exactly. Something. Yeah. So like $2 that. million dollars divided by, you know, right. 20, exactly. 20, 25 writers, you know, yeah, gotcha. And again, presumably it had already been running on syndication. It was on, it was on it Peacock re- already anyway, right. but yeah. And it yeah. was making these things in presumably since like Universal was selling it, they're incentivized to get as high a price as possible. 
So right. that 2% of left, roughly aligns interest there. And that's just for the residual piece. If you were a talent who has back-end participation, you could get more. But again, right. that's because it would go into the pot. But 2% is what goes towards the residual pie for, I believe, actors, writers, and SAG. Don't quote me on that. Like This okay. stuff is... Yeah, no. I'm not a labor lawyer. I will put that out there. I'm just trying to model the numbers. But and yeah. then IATSE as well would uh, there are some pieces in there that go into the funds. So that's how the revenue share works. And or the revenue share is sort of mimicking that. The one big difference is that it's the total revenue, not the revenue, say, per deal. So it's essentially mm -hmm. the far end of those things. Um so it's wait, a, so basics here. Yeah. So we just had Netflix's yeah. earnings call, which was you know uh, eight point two billion dollars. So you're saying it's two percent of that revenue was what essentially what that would be? It's or am I, I, I reread the SAG after demands, and I don't know if it's the U.S. only revenue, oh, right, which would right. make sense, or if it's global. Right, but it could be either or of those two things. Yeah, right. And U.S. revenue was a. I believe about 3.6 billion of that 8.2. So I think it was about 45%. Yeah. So that would be a big difference. And then if, and, and you're, you know, when they're asking for higher foreign residuals, you know, so if right. you want, maybe it's a, a certain percentage of the U S revenue or certain, yeah, that's not, but that's the, all, the, all that hasn't been specifically laid out. Right. Exactly. ESG. Yeah. Yeah. In the, but the way to look at that would be if it does go through, then do we see the writers would obviously ask for that as well. And then right, are the course. directors asking for it? I mean, in hindsight, probably not, but maybe in three years. <laughs> and so then you get a version where the operating profit for Netflix goes down. And so then they're like, oh, that's rough. If you're a streamer who's not making money, which is which quite is a few of them, everybody it goes down. How would you even do that with the big tech firms that it's unclear what people are paying? So again, it gets complicated with the revenue share. Um, and But I still think philosophically, I'm like a huge fan of profit sharing because it inlines incentives. I'm very right. big. I'm falling back on the economic piece. So that's why I still think what I really respect about the SAG after demands and their focus on the messaging piece, Lisa, has been really on profit sharing and bringing that part up. So it's not the other things. It's about we want to share in success while keeping a living wage for all the writers. But sharing success, which is something I think would help and in the flat rate residuals don't do that. I think there could be a middle ground. And now, again, to quote myself, I have a piece way back in March before like all this went down. <laughs> right. uh, when I first started looking into residuals, and essentially, if you imagine like the profit participation, a flat rate rewards everyone equally, but the high performing shows you could imagine getting a big bonus or something like that. Then it's just a question: how do you what how big is that bonus? How many shows do you pay it out to? How do you right. calculate that? Is it's it so complicated and you could argue there'd be like pros and cons either way, whatever you set up is going to incentivize certain show behavior after that. But I think at least that would be a good pathway to start towards bigger profit sharing. And then hopefully in say three years, the streamers are in a more, a stronger place financially to be able to do true profit sharing. I mean, the other solution is you stop all vertical integration and then shows get sold on the open market, but that's not happening. So mm. in the interim, this is what I would propose. And then also it just to round that out there, you also, you know, the, the parent analytics using that as a, the barometer, if you will, the Nielsen of, yeah. you know, of streaming, so to speak. And you had a kind of laid out three charts in the piece, which is great. And I've, I've written a bit about this and talked about it a lot with, uh, with some folks is, you know, parent, parent analytics takes into account a lot of factors, not just, streams there's a lot of you know social media factors things like that that don't really affect the the, the you know the, the money coming in the door at netflix directly 
Um, and that can vary between Nielsen and uh, I think you had a third chart there as well in terms of like we you, you look at one week and the, the variety of different top tens and then that week, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think I actually ended up putting the final one. I just put Nielsen's in there, but I right. I uh, for those who don't know, I write a weekly report on streaming ratings, so it, uh, it tends to be a novel each week. But I use multiple different data sources with a focus on viewership, and that comes from my experience at a streamer. Basically, I, I tell this, try and re- tell this all the time. That if you just give me viewership for a show, I can predict most of the other metrics that come from that: completion rating, uh, renewal, like a uh, rewatch. Uh, number of unique viewers, just having the viewership tends to drive, you know, all the like IMDb ratings, things like that. So viewership also tends to drive most of the financial metrics. So like Netflix and their earnings report this week mentioned again, usage is what matters. Well, Mm -hmm. viewership is highly correlated with usage. That's just like how it goes. Some of those other softer factors do not. Now, I actually, I love the people over at Parrot Analytics and I think they do very great work, especially with their methodology, but because it's not viewership, I think it would just be very hard to get the studios or the streamers on board with it. Now, you know, one of the ironies is Netflix is releasing almost all the data you need right now with their global right. hours. If they just broke it down by a region, if you were yep. doing it that way, you'd be there. So you just need every other streamer to do that, but they're not. So, and if <laughs> right. you don't trust Netflix, which again, I'd be fine if someone said you want a third party. There's people out there. And then the uh, the other big issue, and I know uh, you use this data, the piracy data. Right. I actually think it's in some cases very correlated. The problem with it is it, you essentially can't get a random sample size. Mm-hmm. So you get a very good sample of what pirates watch, but they tend to be younger. Ironically, they tend to have uh, high, uh, good computers. So they actually tend to be higher income. Think college students, right? A lot yeah. of pirates there. They're actually very high income, but they can pirate a lot of stuff because... They have high quality internet access and uh, pieces like that. So piracy data is useful and it can tell you some things. But if you're a studio, you want to like, you don't want to be using piracy data because it's literally the opposite of what people are watching on your platform. Oh yeah, no, it's not. I mean, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's I find it helpful. There are other there's a lot else you can do with that from a company yes. point of view, but this isn't the use case for that. You know, at absolutely. All. It yeah. also skews toward. I mean, probably uh action does very well things that go yep. toward maybe perhaps a younger male demographic versus you know things like that so there's yep. definitely some other biases in, in there as you know so anyway uh great read esg again you can check that out over at uh the angler.com and dive into uh, his full breakdown on that um elaine do you want to buy any companies these days how you feel when you feel bullish on mergers or uh what's your you know your m a outlook for uh for 2023 24 mm-hmm. here uh, well, let's see. I think we've got all the big ones that could possibly be done. Well, that's actually not true. No, 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 that's not true. Right, let's yeah. pull back. Let's pull back. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, let's see. Uh, CAA, that's already taken by Salma Hayek's husband, right? Right, um, right. Uh, Paramount, there's always chatter about that. Sure. Uh, let's uh, see. What, what What do you think I should be in the market for, Sean? Well, video gaming is where it's at this week, uh, Elaine, for oh, sure. Uh, so... The big new the Microsoft Activision deal came essentially back from the dead. Uh, ESG yeah. is that is that yeah. being dramatic or am I? Is that, I mean, I wouldn't wasn't... say I wouldn't say the dead because once uh, I mean right. for those who don't know, like 
it had to get approval essentially from the UK, the EU, and the US. And it got EU approval, which was a pretty big hurdle, but the UK right. said no. The UK said no, and then the US... The was... FCC said, we right. are going to try and stop it. And the news was either last week or... Yeah, I think really? it was last week. Yeah, it was last week, yeah. That um, they Microsoft essentially won their trial in front of a judge. Right, the judge said, yeah. you're good to go. Um, so the news yeah. early this week was this essentially the their deadline for that was, I think... Tuesday or something. So on Tuesday or whatever the day was this week, uh, they extended their deal. Microsoft increased the the breakup fee if, uh, should it happen to go awry at this point. The deal date was extended to October. So that's looking likely video gaming has its own, you know, kind of math to it. But it right. does indicate a little, uh, some other things at large here, ESG. We emailed a bit about this. So I want to dive into what your thoughts yeah. were on this. Yeah. So if it weren't for the strike, which is obviously the most important story every week, um, I would put this story and I've tried to, been trying to flag it for a while as one of the biggest stories, because, you know, obviously the M&A speculation is uh, rampant across the industry. I mean, it always has been. We love talking about potential mergers. It's like, you know, a fun game, but also very real because yeah. we see the yeah. impact of those things happening. And for those who don't know the you know, big shift uh, with the Biden administration has been a renewed push for uh, stricter antitrust scrutiny. This has been spearheaded by the heads of the antitrust department uh, and the head of the FTC, Lena Khan, and Jonathan Cantor, I believe, is head of the antitrust. They're part of a school sometimes called the New Brand Dyceans, trying to... It's is there warm... t-shirts? Are there t-shirts? That's great. I, I mean, wish. I would, I would get one. Yeah. It's a very hard something. name to spell. So, <laughs> um, so that movement has been trying to pose actually a whole host of mergers. It's just, we only tend to notice when they go after essentially one of the fangs or Microsoft, you know, one of the M fangs. <laughs> and so they immediately tried to stop the Activision deal from happening. And then uh, they had the court case, but the biggest trouble for the new, for the antitrust folks, the I would say pro antitrust enforcement is that they, the courts are pretty hostile uh, based off readings going back to the 1980s that have been fairly friendly to mergers and acquisitions, and they're trying to essentially unwind all of that. This case, I think, really was a big test case because it's vertical integration from essentially an entertainment company, not Hollywood entertainment, but video game entertainment with a lot of economics at work, you know, in very similar fashions. Producer makes a game, like a right. studio gets distributed. So I also think the sizes are pretty interesting because you obviously have Microsoft, you know, a a trillion dollar company, but the Activision was only 60 billion. And, you know, only, I believe 60 billion market <laughs> cap when I say right. that, but that makes me start thinking about what sizes could happen with future mergers. And so, you know, the dream, which I know you guys talked about a few months ago, was always the Disney Apple merger. I still think that's very tough because Disney is so much bigger than Activision and Apple is so huge and has its own issues, but could this mean something smaller is a little bit easier to get through? Uh, you know, Paramount into a Peacock or a Comcast, or you know, my favorite. What could Sony say? Hey, you want the film, the game studio, or the film studio Netflix, and then you tie that instead of having to pay a fee outside. So, and again, those aren't anything I've actually heard. Just doing the speculations off the numbers, but this deal not winning does make those deals more likely. If this deal had failed. I would have said those would have been off until essentially a new administration came to town, if it did with a new antitrust enforcement. And then the caveat, because, you know, as an entertainment strategy guy, I'm always like moderating my opinions and like caveating myself and nuancing it. Even if one of those deals happened, I think you could expect the FTC will fight very, very hard against it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's not they won't, they won't, through, but yeah. They're not yeah. like, okay, we're done and we're not going. But 
it would provide somewhat of a precedent that it happened. And then essentially, which we saw in this case as well, a lot of times it comes down to a coin flip on who the judge is. Mm. So does the judge support mergers like this? Um, in this case, a funny little side note that not a lot of people know is that the judge's son actually works for a company called Microsoft, um, I... which could seem like a conflict of interest, but apparently not for the judge. So she uh, said, uh, she, I believe, you know, was said, it's fine. I'd like, I, I'll put that aside and it won't influence my opinion. There's also some talk that they had to do the trial accelerated because the merger deadline could not be pushed backwards. Right. And then it got yeah. pushed backwards. So <laughs> it does, it does depend a lot on the judge and what they will and won't block and things like that. So there is some of that. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, Microsoft Activision. So- all the uh, 2024 deal hawks are uh, encouraged by this. I think is kind of yeah. the, the takeaway there. When uh, again, things like WBD, they're you know they they are open to deal next year. So things like that 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 happen as well. Um, just to note, the Fed ha- the Fed has their next uh, monthly meeting on Wednesday next week uh, for the interest rate. So we'll see that all which also plays a big deal into this ESG, as you know, in terms yeah. of the environment being oh, friendly yeah. to be making deals. Yeah. Where right now, not the best. Uh, Time to have an interest rate to uh, fund those deals. Um, most people think the rate will be raised again, but possibly for the last time. Although I think uh, Wall Street has been kind of reading the secret this year. A lot of uh, wish fulfillment talk out there about what they'd like to see happen and then yeah. uh, crushed dreams when that doesn't come to reality. So uh, some more to come on that. Uh, speaking of Wall Street, uh, Netflix earnings, Elaine, not a... <laughs> Not a nothing burger, but not, you know, there's so much hype that goes into this now. I feel unless something dramatic happens, everybody's a little disappointed and trying to reach for something. I, I don't know. What, what was your kind of take? And was it coming up on the strike lines at all this week? Wasn't coming up on the strike lines. But when you look at the results, look, they beat on earnings. They missed on revenue. Apparently that revenue miss and some of their guidance was enough to send the stock down about 8% after hours carried over to the next day. But I will say that all the Wall Street analysts were largely very positive on it. You saw a bunch of price target increases yesterday, day after earnings. And, uh, you know, they have an extra $1.5 billion floating around now in free cash flow because of the quote unquote timing of production starts and the double WGA SAG after a strike. And we saw something similar during the pandemic, right? When all that production had shut down, obviously, if nothing's in right. production, shave, saves you a little bundle of cash. Uh, not a great long term plan, probably, to shut down production every two years, but for the quarter, uh, it's translating to uh, a whole lot more in free cash flow. And obviously, uh, followers of Netflix earnings past will know that cash burn has historically been an issue for Netflix, and mm. they are, are sort of changing that 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 trajectory around now. But I'm interested yeah. to hear your take and ESG's take on this. Yeah, I mean, revenue, you know, was, the, again, uh, I guess oh, at least two quarters, probably more. They were, they were saying, don't look at our subscribers, look at our revenue. And now everybody's looking at the revenue. And it's like, well, that's why you got a little <laughs> bit of a hit there. The business fundamentals are sound, but it's just funny. Be careful what you ask for sometimes. Where the subscriber numbers were, you know, the biggest quarter in two years or, you know, yeah. at least two years. So that was a big, a big uh, raise. So if it was back on that metric and that and most analysts were, you know, maybe two, two point two point five million. They got five point nine million. So it was a big, you know, uh, a big. Uh, yeah. Now they're like, how about that. those subscriber yeah, numbers? Exactly. <laughs> we go back to that for a quarter. Um, yeah. And one other factor they had in there, you know, was that the password crackdown, which took place in the U.S. Uh, in in Q two, there uh, wasn't didn't have as big of an effect as they thought they were planning it might have on their free cash flow. So that was kind of the third factor. But as you said, is mostly 
timing of production and savings from the strike. And interestingly, I pointed this out in the wake up. Uh, no one else really seemed to pick up on a, on a line in there was, what are they putting? The, Elaine, congratulations. You have an extra $1.5 billion that you weren't expecting. What are you going to do with it? Going to Disneyland. No, um, I'm going <laughs> to. They're definitely not doing that. <laughs> uh, well, what did they say? They said they were kind of looking yeah. at IP and they were. Uh, they, they, no, they're they, buying they, back their stock, Elaine. That's oh, their, yeah, yeah, they're that too. Their stock buybacks increasing too. stock buybacks. So that, which essentially benefits Wall Street and uh, industrial shareholders, invest, uh, shareholders uh, institutional and, owners. In my chat with Duncan Crabtree, our tree Ireland, he had a couple of things to say about that too. But okay, there you go. Uh, so you know, we're not. I mean, maybe they they'll give a nice small bonus to some assistance. I don't whatever you might be, but it's a matter of just like, oh, you're gonna classically classic Wall Street answer. We're just gonna mm-hmm. affect the share price versus actually invest in something. Uh, you know, again, that's yeah, that's they, great. They returned their favorite word, lumpiness. When, <laughs> yeah, which they used yeah. previously after COVID that there will be lumpiness, lumpiness in, in the, the numbers, which is yeah. the worst Wall Street term I can think of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, how about, how about you? Yeah, I thought a couple nuggets besides ones that uh, probably most people have seen that I thought was interesting. Um, again, we got very little on the gaming business, which tends Did to happen. Ever? Little, little. I mean, well, little. nothing. But, that, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. maybe it was, I have to like do a search in the PDF doc yeah. to see how many times they mentioned it at all this quarter. In, in the call, they, I don't think they mentioned it at all in the report. It was yeah. maybe two mentions that's at a, best. Yeah. Online. Yeah. I think uh, the other interesting thing, which was in there, uh, is on the pricing. They're really, with all their data, they really are trying to optimize things. But it seems like, which they mentioned, they're lowering prices in some places internationally again, which again, that is partly why you can get 5.9 million global subscribers. How much are you actually making off those global subscribers? Which again, right. focus on the revenue. But then, uh, you know, my reading the tea leaves was that there seemed to be a lot of talk about how they're going to drive revenue in 2024, which seems a little bit of a foreshadowing potentially for price raises um, in the US and the EU. And again, essentially the password crackdown is a de facto price raise in some cases from a you know, cons- customer value perspective. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. But overall, I think FCFs or the free cash flow is the story. I'm definitely a uh, free cash flow junkie over profit um, <laughs> when it comes down to it. And there, over the last three years, especially with the you know move towards what it was the three and a half billion before the year started, really impressed me. It just the irony, which I've like written about before, is just this was not. I don't think on either side's narrative, either for the bears or the bulls. You know, the bull case really was they're going to keep growing so fast that their content spend increasing won't matter. Hmm. And it turns out the answer is like, no, like growth will slow down, but we can just also stop growing our content spend and revenue will keep growing either way, which would like was not the case. It was not what I saw coming. Um, and again, one of the big reasons why they never really lined up with the rest of the big tech stocks is because they didn't throw off those big free cash flow numbers. And now they're doing that. The only caveat I have is that I, I definitely noticed since I've been doing this that Wall Street seems to love to pick one winner in entertainment and then throw everything like, oh, they're going to win. And then their stock keeps going up. And then when they falter for a few quarters and it drops back down and Netflix had that for a long time, then Disney's like, hey, we'll take it after you guys falter. And then obviously we know how that went. So the price to earning ratio for Netflix seems a little high to me. It's already dropped down with that post stock, but that's the one. I'm worried, do they get those rallies? And if they have two bad quarters in the revenue growth, 
this things come back. But overall, like again, the the free cash flow. If all, all they have to do is shut down content every other year, they're going to be fine. So. <laughs> simple soft for the business model. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the fundamentals were were definitely pretty sound. And as you said, and they were asked on the call on the earnings call, quote right. quote unquote call. Yeah, seventeen billion a year is about where they're netting out. They don't, they didn't, you know, in twenty twenty four is about the same, maybe seventeen point five, whatever it might be. But there was no plans to keep accelerating that. And at some point, you know, it just makes logical yeah. sense. It's like they're already producing a lot. Like what else, how much more would they be dropping, you know, um, outside of, again, buying some IP lane or things like that, that may, yeah. you know, may drive that a little bit more higher, but um, uh, uh, business as usual, so to speak. But, but well, one larger thing, one small thing, but alluded to it earlier, the number one uh, show in the streaming world in the US for the week of June 25th was uh, a USA series from the mid 2010s. Suits and like buy a lot ESG. That wasn't just like a, a little win. That was a pretty big win. This was the first. All those week. Meghan Markle fans. I guess that's it. I don't. You know, I that's my only. Or mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of USA Network fans that are sad that they don't do original shows anymore. But uh, it was the start of the window on Netflix. Was essentially you know it's been on Peacock. It still is on Peacock uh, as well. But also you know I looked at the top ten ESG and of uh five of the top ten are old broadcast shows of the most popular streaming shows in America. Suits is number one. SWAT was number three, which is on three different services, by the way. Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> the old stalwart, number six. Uh, NCIS was at number eight. And Manifest, which has a split history of NBC and and, and uh, Netflix, was number 10. And we're talking about this fall schedule. That, you know, So um, Fox announced their, finally announced their fall schedule. No new script, no scripted there. CBS just reset theirs this week. Uh, the closest thing they have to scripted is old episodes of the UK version of ghosts and uh, Yellowstone. Maybe it's new to you if you don't have cable on, on Sunday nights. Um, and then NBC at least has four new scripted series or four series with new scripted episodes and a season three of a Canadian medical show that only aired in Canada. Um, but, but it, you know, these broadcast shows drive a lot of revenue across the board. I mean, we know the linear TV and the business, the broadcast business is challenged here ESG, but the, you know, the lack of a fall schedule really has some large ramifications here, at least in my in my view on this. I'm curious what you what your take is on this. I think the worry for broadcast, uh, that was why, you know, looking at the strike deadlines, the July 1st was the number I'd, or the date I had heard that's right. like, hey, we need the broadcasters up to really like hit that. That's obviously gone. Yeah. If you assume that the town's dead in December, which it is, that means essentially if it doesn't resolve by October, the midseason shows start to look at risk as well. Um, using about a two-month window. So we'll see how that goes. I'd also point out about those Nielsen ratings, which I have heard may change by the end of the year. They actually don't include day-after-air television on Hulu. So actually, if you put in some of those shows that come from ABC the next day, some of those numbers could be even higher for Peacock, Hulu, and Paramount. So having even more. Um, And so this Mm -hmm. has been my general take on the strike after having gone through COVID is that essentially we're going to see a lot of the impacts on the traditional studios first with this broadcast. Because they have those, you know, make a show in three months, it gets on the air, goes to streaming, and goes through that timeline. Netflix tends to be about nine months after that because they make a show, then they dub it into every language in the world, make all the masters, do a ton of posts, and they tend to have a six to nine month lead time. That's why they talk about having content banked up. So, and we saw a lot of this in uh, 2021, is that Disney and some of the other streamers started to have a bunch of new shows while Netflix's shows tended to drop in quality, they did, you know, they didn't have a Stranger Things or mm. um, I believe The Witcher got pushed. I, you know, yeah. thinking all the way back to 2021 is a long time ago, but <laughs> we saw yeah. that impact. And like, for example, you mentioned Grey's Anatomy, the new season actually came to Netflix in June. 
So if it doesn't come here, Netflix will not have that new season in June. Um, but the most fascinating thing with Suits is it, it had previously been on Netflix, but oh, then okay. it dropped back in. Um, yeah, the best website in the world for Netflix is what's on Netflix. What's on Netflix, Netflix. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so they had it was first added in 2019 and then it got removed in August 2021, presumably part of the Peacock push. And then now it's back. I actually thought we were in for SWAT summer because it's actually had <laughs> four weeks I mean, in a row near 20 million hours in the viewership, which is actually really good. And so I thought SWAT summer, but apparently yeah. it's suit summer now. But again, a lack of these shows in the fall. I mean, and you may definitely have more insight this than I have in my fingertips here, but you know, the, the majority or uh, I assume a large part of the viewership on Hulu, Paramount Plus and Peacock is yeah. next day viewing or same week viewing of these, you know, the shows that are in season. Yeah. When you don't we have abs- those, they're going to take a hit, right? I mean, a big one, right? Yeah, we absolutely saw that when Hulu lost the NBC Universal shows, it seemed right. like their numbers dropped after that. They've since recovered, but it definitely is going to be a hit to not have those day after shows, not to mention the linear TV drops. I know that the Joe Adalian piece mentioned yes, ratings and, uh, could be down yeah. 30 to 40%. You know, scripted shows are definitely shrinking in value, but they definitely still have, they still, some of the numbers they I mean, drive on the same day are huge and customers know when they're not new shows. They know when they're cheaper re- reality or game shows or sports they don't watch. So yeah. Right. Yep. And the ad rates for those scripted shows are, even if a reality show or competition show, you know, gets a similar number, yeah. you know, CBS and NBC, they're not making the same ad revenue off of that, you know, exactly. um, as well. So there's a lot of ramifications to come. We'll see what, see what they say in their projections here in the, their earnings calls to come up in the, the couple of weeks ahead here. Um, for sure. But, um, it just, you know, I think I mentioned this before, but you know, the Hollywood studios are essentially advertising sales companies, you know, the right. 10 years ago, they were the top companies, you know, in the United States, it wasn't, and now it's all the, you know, Facebook and, and, uh, Google and such, but you know, if they don't have good inventory to sell, that's what they're built to do. So right. when you take that away, that's, it's just a huge, huge dent in, uh, and then on streaming as well, it's like selling yeah. on ads. I mean, Peacock, reportedly up their uh, ad spend to 30% in their upfronts. But <laughs> if they're missing NBC fall shows, um, it's kind of curious to see how that goes. So anywho, uh, we'll round out here. Barb and Heimer Lane, I know you're not going to see either one of them, I'm sure, but maybe not. I don't know. Hey, Are you? hey, hey, hey. Hey, no. My, all right, I'm sorry. No, I actually do want to see both of them. Not this weekend, but I do want to see both of them. <laughs> Can't do this weekend, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, okay, so. I'm going to the ultimate tennis showdown this weekend down at uh, Carson. <laughs> Okay. So I will not have time for Barbie or Oppenheimer, but uh, I actually want to see both. I actually okay. wanted to see Challenger, speaking of tennis. But uh, as we were recording this, the alert came through my inbox that it's being moved to 2024 because of the strike. Oh, the release date officially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. from, from September of this year to April in the spring. And I doubt that'll be the last of the box office changes that we'll see. Yeah, that's uh, the first one down there. Um, and that was going to be at Venice, too. I guess that's mm-hmm. probably not off, happening. Not happening as well. So all the festivals are uh, a little bit see, in trouble here. A little bit in trouble. See, so, yeah, updating it. I know the TIFF, uh, the, the head of TIFF was saying, you know, hopefully they want to try and get a, a waiver from SAG for actors to be able to promote independent films. So that's obviously a big mm-hmm. film market there in TIFF as well. So um, we'll see if that goes through. But, uh, uh yeah she or uh, do you know what uh they clone tyrone is by any chance i do not elaine no sir what okay <laughs> that is the other film premiering this weekend uh in streaming uh oh. on netflix so that is uh jamie fox john boyega 
in a large literally film. the first time hearing of this movie sounds like same for you and esg so i tend right. to find out all of them after they make the ratings chart and then i'm like <laughs> gotcha. okay what movie is this well but, you've uh, heard of barbie you've heard of oppenheimer so you're no no, no. theatrical yeah, yeah. they yeah. market those so that's the other film coming out this weekend uh nice. again just proving the difference of theatrical versus streaming so we'll see what the box office brings a lot of the esg this is the wild most wild range of tracking i can remember for a film am i anything else come to mind for you about people having no idea what this film's going to do for barbie yeah i mean well no one has any ideas but i think it's really interesting i i don't think anyone can remember back to when you had two films combined to make a big blockbuster opening which you could have if you know the lower performing film does 75 million and the upper one does right. now, which some people are saying up to 185. But I think yeah. it's really interesting because start going into June, there was the hope that June was going to be strong, right? Which would really help the historical comps going back to 2019, because especially since July actually had films in it, unlike last year, um, where the like number of films like really dropped off a cliff, and we have films going through July and August. Instead, yeah. now this will make the July comps look tremendous. Yep, but it probably won't dig quite out of the hole unless all the films really overperform. And then I would say the last number, which you mentioned, the Mission Impossible hold number. I'd be really curious. It historically legs out really well, meaning it keeps its audience. And in some ways, it's like counter programming to the two films up. So very curious to see how that one holds as well. Yeah, and I mentioned this in the wake up this morning. Just it's it's great to see. Just the, you know, look at the marquee at the theater. I mean, you have yeah. R-rated comedy, you got horror, you have you know action adventure, you have a film, quote unquote, film for adults, an Oscar film, and you have a pop culture, you know, juggernaut, all to go see at the theater this weekend. Like this, and a kids nice, film, and a kids film, and Elemental yep. still out there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So was, uh, the box office delivering for all Americans. Right. Uh, I, I will be covering all those numbers, of course. In the wake up on Monday in my box office breakdown, uh, which you can get by subscribing to the Angler at theangler.com. ESG, pleasure. Hope you uh, come back and join us uh, with a Cartman voice next time, or you know, maybe you can be the Fonz. That would be fun. Elaine, any other ideas for uh, for ESG? I was going to do, I was going to do Darth Vader voice. If well, that's, that's that close seems like a natural segue. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, just don't do R two D two, and I think we'll be happy. So <laughs> that would be better, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I spoke. I should have kept that to myself. Okay. All right, there we go. Uh, thanks for uh, listening, as always, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week.